from a financial standpoint, hourly workers in retail and logistics are stretched perilously thin. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. For hourly workers, the economic impact of missing a single shift can be substantial. That's the conclusion of a new study from WorkJam. It collected data from more than 1,000 U.S.-based workers and employers in the retail, hospitality, logistics, healthcare, and banking industries. Turns out the loss of just one shift can render half of workers unable to pay utilities, rent, or a week's worth of groceries. Simply put, a lot of employees today are living from paycheck to paycheck. Part of the problem lies in erratic scheduling practices. Today we'll find out why that's happening in my conversation with Will Eady, Global Vice President of Strategy with WorkJam. He discusses the high points of the study, and we'll get into whether a so-called digital workplace might help to alleviate the problem. In theory, such systems can allow workers to take control of when and how they work and improve work-life balance. But are there privacy issues to be addressed, and how does the employer benefit? So here is my conversation with Will Eady. Will Eady, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me about this latest work jam study of workers in retail and logistics. How many people, where did you find them? What was the process of coming up with the results? What we've done is the economic impact study, and it's called the economic impact of missing a single shift. We really based the study on data that we collected from over a thousand U.S.-based hourly employees. So these were employees that were very focused in the retail logistics and hospitality and healthcare industries. So looking at hourly workers, shift-based workers, trying to figure out what is the far-reaching implication of missing those shifts. We really focus on that user base. So is that the benchmark, missing a single shift? You went in with that as a benchmark, or did that emerge from the plight of the workers that you interviewed? That really was the outcome of it. We didn't go in with a premise that we were looking to prove. We went in trying to understand the economic impact of how shift workers are affected by changes to their shifts, right? How does erratic scheduling affect them? Because obviously it's a piece when you're paid hourly, when your schedule changes or is unpredictable, the premise is that that becomes difficult for them. And the outcome was that even a single shift can have a very large impact. I think we probably made the assumption that it would be a culmination of multiple shifts missed or multiple shifts that were cut short or that you weren't scheduled for. And I think we really realized that the impact was much greater because you could boil it down to a single shift being that impactful. Well, it came as a bit of a surprise then, based on what your hypothesis going in. I don't know if I want to say it was a surprise. I think maybe the surprise was, yes, I guess it's fair to say, sorry. I think that it's fair to say that it being a single shift is a bit of a surprise to us. But once you look at the data and kind of understand where the respondents came from, you can understand why. So where is this happening most? We're talking about retail and logistics specifically, but could you be more specific about where the situation is most dire? 
for these workers? I think the situation specifically for frontline associates in retail and then for any of the shift workers in logistics and distribution centers, the workers that go throughout that supply chain, it is the most dire. And and if you look at the responses from those folks, missing one shift, 49% of them responded that it hurt their ability to make utility payments on time. 27% said it hurt their ability to make rent payments. And then 25% said it actually affected how they bought food and groceries. So I think what you're seeing is that people that are on the front lines are the ones that are most effective. You can extrapolate from that. If I'm in a distribution center, so in the logistics industry, my shifts are going to be longer generally, right? They're six to eight hours. If I miss one of that, that's a big chunk of my paycheck that is starting to affect my grocery bill. If I miss that shift and I have to use the money from another shift to pay for groceries, now it affects my rent. And I think what you're talking about is that generally these are workers, that's a fixed schedule, right? It's driven down by what's the optimized schedule. So if they miss their chance, traditionally, in a traditional environment, they might have difficulty picking up a new shift. And that's where the impact really comes from. Financially, it seems like these people have no cushion whatsoever, no savings, nothing to fall back on in a moment like that, like missing a shift, as you say. Now, I know that scheduling is kind of the crux of what we're talking about here and the study that you did. But for a moment, before we get to that in more detail, I want to talk about wages and salaries, because I'm a bit surprised when I hear this, thinking that they thought the trend nationwide was an increase in salaries to the point where in a number of cities are instituting $15 minimum wages. We're talking about sub 4% unemployment in this country. We understood that suddenly the ball is in the court of the worker, that they suddenly have more power. And then to hear this, I'm a little surprised. Can you explain that apparent disconnect there? I don't think that I would categorize it as a lack of power to the worker from at least my vantage point of it, it's actually a lack of the ability to have a collaborative technology between the two parties. I think you're right. I mean, I think you have companies that are doing a fantastic job at looking at how do I take care of my employees more? How do I engage my employees more? How do we make them more of a part of our ecosystem? And then you, like you said, I mean, you have employees that really have a choice of where they go and work. And I think that's really fantastic. But I think it still shows you that even when they are being paid more than they had been in the past, there's still an impact when they can't have repeatable, predictable work or when they just don't have an easy way to fix that. And I think that's why you see more and more people figuring out the employers that you see getting fantastic ratings on Glassdoor or who report an increase in sales and a decrease in turnover. It's because they figured out a way to continue to make sure that they're meeting their business demands while at the same time giving those frontline associates a chance to get impactful work, to be able to work the full hours of their promise, whether it's 25 or 32 or 38, that they can actually meet those demands. I think that from our study and our viewpoint, we didn't necessarily focus on the wage rate. It was more on the idea of the shift work. Well, what is driving this issue of erratic scheduling? I know it's not, there's nothing particularly new about that, especially in the retail business, but have you seen that it is actually becoming more of an issue that retailers now are actually adopting these split schedules and these odd schedules more than they used to? So I don't think that's the case. I think that the schedules have not changed. Again, they're trying to meet business demand. I think what actually has changed is the expectation of the workforce. And when we go out and we talk to people and we talk to people that are using digital workplace platforms or those that aren't, and we even talk to the respondents in this study, it's less about that the schedule has become more demanding or more erratic. It's more that they have become more used to being have control over their things, right? If you think about these frontline associates, they're consumers too. 
So they're very used to that consumer experience of deciding when they, the Uberization of labor. So they're used to being able to get an Uber when they want, or they can order groceries online, or, or they pick, figure out when they're going to have their Amazon order delivered. And they're now bringing that same expectation into the workplace. So I don't think this is necessarily a change in the retailer's behavior. It's a change in the way the workforce would like to interact with their employer. Yeah, but it's interesting that you mentioned the Uberization of labor. Do you think that some of the situations, some of the some of what employers are doing in changing shifts around, has anything to do with the rise of the temporary workforce, the so-called gig workforce? Do they come in and disrupt the lives and the schedules of the typical full-time worker? No, I think again, it's more of that workers are realizing that if they can have more control of when they work or how they work, or if the example of if I have to miss a shift because we know how much impact that has, that I have control of being able to, instead of just giving up that shift, but I can trade that shift with somebody else. So now I have the same amount of hours. That's how they're looking at it. They're saying if that technology is out there and it exists, I would like to participate in the economy with my employer in that same way. So given that capability, you're actually positioning this idea of flexible schedules and erratic schedules as a positive for workers, whereas I think some workers have been complaining that it's disrupting their lives. But bottom line, do you think it can be turned into a positive? I mean, that's exactly the goal, right? I think when you see employers adapting a digital workplace, they're doing it as an employee engagement strategy. They're doing it with the intent of making the, the work-life balance of their employees better, right? The focus of this, again, it's why they're approaching it. They're saying, how can we make sure that we are giving the employees all the ability that they have to get the full employment that they would like? And they do this through things like, hey, if they traditionally work in our distribution center, they have this set of skills. What if we're able to offer them via a couple of trainings or, be, or by making sure they're certified in other pieces? Why can't they also then go work in our store and do drop shipment from the store or do with the increase of buy online, pick up in store? Those same people that are trained really well in the logistics chain now have the ability to pick up shifts if they use that technology in the store as well. So again, we see it as there's an even greater chance for people to take control. If you look at the reasons people miss shifts is another big piece of this. They're not missing shifts because they don't want the shift. If they're a college student, they're missing the shift because an exam came up that they didn't know about. If they're a single parent, they're having to stay home to take care of a sick child. So when they can take control of when they work and how they work, then that actually has that impact. And really what you're doing is you're giving the frontline associate the chance to have that control while you're still meeting the business needs of the employer. And that's where the balance comes in, right? When you can rise them both up to the same place, that's when everybody wins. Okay, you've made several references to a digital workplace. What exactly is that and how does that differ from previous methods by which employees and employers can get together on this topic? Technology didn't previously exist. We didn't live in this mobile digital world where you could interact with your employer on the web or on a mobile phone or on a tablet. And I think what we've seen evolve is that the employers have spent a lot of money on really fantastic systems that help them plan your business. They build out really great backend systems. But what was traditionally happening was they still had to print that paper schedule. And it still was, if I need to call off my shift, I have to call my manager. I had to text my manager. All I had that was ability maybe in a place that shared some phone numbers of the staff, you had the ability to start calling a phone tree and call your friends and say, hey, can anybody take my shift and I'll take your shift Wednesday? Or if I want more shifts, I can call my manager and ask for more shifts. But it was still a very manual process. And then the process of there was no capability to actually tie in things like digital training that would allow you to get digital certifications and badges 
to say that I can work in a different department or that I have a skill to work across multiple locations. So I think with the advent of technology and really the insurgence that we've seen of digital technology into the workforce and with it becoming more ubiquitous across that workforce, now employers and employees have that collaboration ability. So one of the things that you see very traditionally um, start to exist in these digital workplaces, which we define sort of as any sort of front end collaboration tool that brings together multiple back office systems really to drive things like communication, open shift marketplace, schedule management and training. Now what you do is give people the collaboration tools to do that. I cannot just send a text message out to 20 people saying, can someone take my shift? That's very kludgy. It still requires a lot of managers going back and making entries into systems. But if I can go in and actually look at my shift mobily and say, this is the shift that I would like to give to Christine and I'm going to take Christine's shifts. And it's all actually done in a collaborative fashion that syncs back to the back end systems so that you can you maintain that compliance. Now you have a win-win for everybody. And when you say digital, I guess that means that the mode of communication by which this platform is being delivered is on mobile devices, is on smartphones. Is that correct? Or is that the way that this works? Yeah, we see most of the digital workplaces with the employers that we work with and or with others. They deploy a strategy to say, hey, this is available on a kiosk or this is available on a tablet or you can choose to use it on your own personal device. So how does it actually get used in the workplace? In your experience, what percentage of communications on this platform take place between employees saying, I can't take this shift, would somebody take it and they exchange, versus between employers and employees? How does that balance? Like I said, I think it actually balances more towards, it's definitely employee-focused. Between employees, you're saying? Correct, between employees. They're taking advantage of it to make sure that hey, I got scheduled for 32 hours this next two weeks, right, in this work period. And I want to make sure that I keep those 32 hours. So if I have a six-hour shift and I know that Ron has a six-hour shift, then I can trade it with him. We both keep our hours and that maybe I help Ron out and next week he's going to help me out. And now we have that collaborative platform. The digital workplace also offers that employee a chance to say, I can't find anybody to trade with me. I'm going to post this to an open shift marketplace that now lets everybody, people who, who before I wouldn't even get a hold of, to do that. By the way, the other reason we see a lot of employees really like this, it's increase in privacy for them. They no longer have to share their phone number with all of their coworkers. They no longer have to share their email. They're doing this in a way that allows them to do it compliantly integrated with their back office systems, but also maintain their level of privacy, which we know is really important to them. I know I'm trading it with Ron, but I don't have to have Ron's phone number. Yeah, but I mean, when, when an employee is trading with another employee, is that transaction visible to the employer? It would be in the sense that it has to be compliant. I can only trade with people that have the same skill set, right? So if I'm working in a distribution center and I work as a picker, right, I can't trade my shift with somebody that works the loading dock. I understand that. But what I'm saying is if I'm an employee, I can't make a shift. I put the word out to other prospective employees who, who could, like who, who would be authorized to take over my job. But does that request go out? Is that visible to the employer at the time I put it out, or does the employer only find out once I've made an arrangement with an alternative employee? That depends on how they've chosen to roll it out. That's mm-hmm. a decision that's made, I would say, on a customer-by-customer basis. If there's a chance to put a workflow in so that they can have approval of it, there's a chance to automate that approval. But this is being done absolutely in a compliant way on that platform. Yeah, because I'm just thinking from an employee's standpoint that I would probably prefer confidentiality up to the point where the employer has to know who's going to work that shift. But that's not necessarily the case depending on how the platform is being used. The same way that in a traditional manual process, they still have to get approval to swap that shift. Yeah. 
They're, you know, they have to make sure that a manager signs off on it. Clearly, that is a great example of collaboration when one employee talks to another and they work together on solving these scheduling problems. But I'm, I'm trying to put on an employer hat here. The employer, like, maybe posts the weekly schedule or the monthly schedule for the store or the warehouse, and they put out, here's who's working when. I suspect that they're not thinking that this is a collaboration. <laughs> they're thinking, here's who's working when, and if we need to change it, okay, let me know. But does this really lead to more of a collaborative mindset on the part of the employer, or do they continue to play the traditional role of employers saying, here's when you guys are going to work, you know, take it or leave it, basically? I think it is very collaborative. I think that especially the employers that are taking this approach are doing it from an employee-first standpoint. Again, they know, and if you look at other data, it'll show you that a highly engaged workforce actually helps you meet your business goals, your customer experience goals. So I don't think they're taking this older traditional approach of this is the schedule and this is what's going to be worked. They're saying as long as we can put a schedule out, our tasks out, and as long as they're completed or the shift is worked by somebody that is qualified to work that shift, they want to make sure that it's being worked by somebody that wants to work it because there's a ton of data that an engaged workforce reduces things like safety hazards. It absolutely brings up customer experience and it actually brings up employee experience. But you got to remember, the employer also gets the value out of reducing their turnover, which has a huge expense to them. So the longer they can keep an experienced employee, it reduces their need to continue to hire, which is expensive for them. They also get an experienced employee. There's so much valuable data when you get to keep somebody working in that role. Think about how much they bring to a role when they have the knowledge that they've done it for two years. All the productivity things, especially in, in supply chain logistics. If I've been a picker and I've been there for a year, I do things much quicker than someone that's just taken the shift for a week. So the other things that they can do in digital workplaces, say, I want somebody with this experience level to pick up this shift so I can only trade with those people. So I do think it's very collaborative. Yeah, so to the extent that we are facing a talent gap or a workforce gap today, as again, with very low unemployment, you see this platform or this digital approach as being at least a partial solution to that dilemma, right? Oh, absolutely. I think what we're really trying to do is we're bridging the gap between exactly what you just mentioned, where I don't have the ability to get as much work as I want, or as an employer, I don't have the ability to get as many people to work the shifts as I need. And I think it comes back to the numbers you mentioned at the beginning. With unemployment being as low as it is, employers are looking to be the employer of choice. And with unemployment being as low as it is, you have a time where employees can really go choose where they work and how they interact with that work. Well, I guess we can also hope that perhaps in the future that the employees will have a little bit more cushion and will not be faced with one missed shift leading to financial instability but or insecurity. But at least what we have here now, Will, it looks like a really interesting approach to a very serious issue. So I thank you very much for helping to explain the concept of the digital workplace. Thank you very much for being with us today. Well, I really appreciate your time, and, and I appreciate you taking time to focus on what we think is a really important and interesting topic. That was my conversation with Will Eady of WorkJam, talking about the plight of hourly workers in retail and logistics. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? 
email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.